Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Each week on Movable Dough, I sit down with a composer to talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and, of course, their music. Come with me as we explore each unique path into composition and what they have to share with the world. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Dr. Tracy Wong. Tracy is a Malaysian composer who now resides in Ontario, Canada, and is an assistant professor of choral studies at Western University. She is passionate about helping choral educators to provide unique experiences for their students through collaborative commissions, customized workshops, festivals, and artist residencies. As an active clinician and educator, Tracy has conducted workshops for choirs in North America, Malaysia, France, Ireland, and Portugal. Her compositions are available through Cypress Choral Music, Graphite Music, and Young Choral Academy. Tracy Wong, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. So I am fascinated by the idea of a Malaysian composer ending up in Canada. And we'll come back to that journey. But I'd like to actually start with Malaysia. So I was I was doing some reading about the music education system in Malaysia, uh, but I would like to hear from you. What was your musical education like in Malaysia? Uh, for me, Malaysia, I can only speak for my lived experience because mm-hmm. it kind of varies from state to state and from school to school. So I grew up in Ipoh, which is a small tin mining town, north, uh, two hours north of Kuala Lumpur. That is actually the hometown of Michelle Yeoh. So we're okay. super proud of her <laughs> to be from the same town. And I believe it's a very artistic uh, city now that it's grown. And I... I grew up in a convent school because of British uh, history. Mm-hmm. Uh, my moms and my aunties went to convent school. My dad went to uh, St. Michael's. So we have a mix of English and Malay uh, mode of instruction in school. Okay. And I think that's what makes it unique. And because of that blended uh, culture that we have, I would also receive um, Western music training as well as local folk songs and movement uh, classes with our teachers. It's all embedded within the music education system, especially in primary school. Sure, so was this primarily vocal or instrumental or a combination of both? Uh, It's a combination, it's like general music ed where you learn everything from recorder, you learn the notes, uh, and then you play all the different noise makers. um, And we do have choir as a club in school. where I'm from, choir is very competitive between schools. So that's the kind of system we grew up with. Um, but I do, uh, I had received uh, my music training outside of school as well with uh, various teachers in piano. Okay, so you're doing private piano lessons as well? Yes, that's right. Okay, is your is your family musical? Sort of. My mom plays a guitar. She's a worship leader at church. My dad loves Celine Dion. <laughs> so uh, we've always been surrounded by music uh, in the house. And I do have two music educators within my extended family. So nice. hence the experience and the influence. So when you were growing up, did you dream about becoming a musician or did you have other goals when you were younger? Um, I think being a musician was something that I didn't know could be a career. 
uh-huh. because um, we're, we're such a small town and I didn't know that there was even such a thing as a undergrad in music and what that entails. I just knew that I wanted to be like my high school choir teacher and she was my first um, choral experience and she actually sat me down and told me all about it. I told my dad, I said, I want to be like her. And my father, being an accountant, would say, um, how much is it to invest in this and how are we going to see the returns? <laughs> <laughs> so he had to sit down with my choir teacher to actually talk through what uh, prospects could be, um, what avenues could be, because I didn't know. Um, right. So that was something that I had to learn along the way. Okay. So I know that both of your master's and doctoral degrees are from the University of Toronto. So. Yes. Why did Canada attract your attention? Was there a professor you wanted to study with? Yes, and also the location itself. Uh, because I did my undergrad initially in Malaysia, uh, mm -hmm. but I managed to be a part of a program where we have a twinning situation. We could do part of our degree in Malaysia and then part in another country that's affiliated to our program. Okay. So I chose to go to Australia to finish my studies. Um, and my father at that time thought, okay, it's expensive. But if we're going to learn Western art music, it's good to go to a Western country to really immerse in the culture, to get a balanced uh, understanding of it. So hence, I went to Australia. Um, amazing experience to just be out there. And I really grew uh, into understanding what my identity as a musician was because I was out there alone. And it was helpful to just take some time to unpack that. And I sang with the chamber choir there and worked on my piano studies and um, went back to Malaysia for eight years to do just to teach in schools in primary, mm -hmm. secondary schools and decided it's time to go back to grad school to update my teaching. If not, I feel like I'm recycling a lot of my ideas. Yeah. Um, so Canada was a place, number one, where I knew I wanted to learn from Hilary Apfelstadt. And um, she is a lifelong mentor. She just texted me this morning, how is everything going? So we are still in touch. And um, she has always been really helpful along my journey, but also because I've never been to North America before. I've never seen snow before. <laughs> and I felt at that time to do graduate studies so far away, um, I needed to go somewhere where it's too expensive to quit. So it has <laughs> to be far enough. Exactly. So that was my motivation. It has to be far enough to be too difficult to quit and go home. And that's what I knew I needed to challenge myself. <laughs> that's great. Well, have you gotten your fill of snow now? Oh, yes. I'm ready for <laughs> summer anytime now. <laughs> so what is something you wish more people knew about music from Malaysia or that you would like to tell them? Um, that music from Malaysia, the, the ones that we know, does not represent every other piece in Malaysia that it is so multifaceted, that we're only having a taste and the tip of the iceberg because we are such a multicultural country. We're a polyethnic community. And sometimes the music that we sing is not confined within the national borders of our country geographically because we are a diaspora. Mm -hmm. I am a third generation Malaysian Chinese, which means that my parents were also born in Malaysia. My grandparents were the one who immigrated from China to Malaysia. Okay. And I am a first generation Canadian. So there's so many layers uh, to unpack. Where is home? I can't really say. I just know home is where I feel I can thrive and I feel supported and I can um, express myself artistically at the point at, at 
this moment. That's fantastic. So do you think there's something unique to music from Malaysia that we might not find in other places? Um, unique in a way, yes, the sounds, um, the tones that we get and the way we would sing might be slightly different, but I also believe that that's what makes every culture around the world unique. The singing tone, um, we could akin that to the way people speak the language. So if we mm -hmm. speak the language in a certain tone, that might be the way that people will be singing in a certain tone. So we don't have to overthink um, the logistics of uh, sound acoustics too much. So as long as we have those samples in mind, I think that's what makes it unique. And that's what I'm really proud about. Um, being immersed in Malaysian culture. Yeah. So you mentioned that when you were in choir in school, that the choirs were pretty competitive. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a, a long history of choral singing in Malaysia? Um, I won't say it is very long. It's not an infanthood, maybe toddlerhood. Um, <laughs> we have the competitions initially um, at the start of our independence, 1957, as a way of building national unity. Uh -huh. And um, we would be doing a national music and patriotic music between schools, and then also encouraging folk songs so that we are remembering the music of our various communities. Um, and I think that's how it came about. And with the um, British colonialism, yes, we have the tradition of choral singing because of that. We have choral speaking because of the enunciation of English. And uh -huh. I realized from some friends in Hong Kong, they have the same thing too. Choral speaking, as long as you're speaking together, you're doing diction together, and it's done in a storytelling way uh, as a group of people. That's oh, great. We have debates. And usually I would um, go for debate uh, competitions and choir competitions because that is my way of sneaking out of school so that <laughs> <laughs> I can do something else um, that I feel I can express myself. That's great. <laughs> uh, are, are there debates done in uh, choral speaking where you're all speaking the debate all together? No, no the debates. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I think it will be quite a ruckus. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> So both your degrees are in choral conducting and not in composition. So what turned you to com composing? When, when did you start? Composition, good question. It was out of necessity, to be honest. Um, and it started in high school when my high school choir needed music for certain functions and performances. And they said, oh, so-and-so or the headmistress love this song by uh, a popular singer in Malaysia that sings folk music. Um, but we don't have the sheet music for it. It doesn't exist. Can we write a choral version? So I had to go back and write something. Fast okay. forward, when I work with children's choir and youth choirs in Malaysia, uh, we were starting to be invited uh, by international festivals to perform. And those festival organizers said, we've heard the John Rudders, we've heard everything and Haydn and Mozart. We want to hear you sing you. So sing music of your culture, we would love to hear it. And I really enjoyed that support and that encouragement. But again, we didn't have a lot of repertoire in hand because folk music in Malaysia, mostly either you sing in unison or you are singing it as a solo with uh -huh. ornaments. Um, therefore, to create the choral versions of it, I'm glad that my high school teacher who ended up being my boss, my artistic director, because she created a choral academy, and I started to work with her on the, the choirs that we have, we started writing our own music. And um, the students are the best teachers that I can have. 
to try to figure out what fit their voice, what didn't, uh, what worked across the passaggio, where's the tessitura for it, um, helped me understand a lot about the voice. And I'm also privileged to be a singer that I could beta test all the music myself as best as I could for the soprano alto lines or bringing the tenor and bass friends to actually sing those lines and they give me feedback what worked and what didn't work. So being able to write out of necessity to write to the choir's advantage, their strengths, but because I'm also a teacher, I needed to write moments where I know they could build technically and they could improve musically and yeah. in terms of their skills. So I feel that my my journey as a choral conductor helped me understand the kind of music that not only I can write, but music that I can advocate for, because for me, I, I would love repertoire-based learning and music that the teachers could just open up and say, I know how to teach this. I know this is going to make the choir better. And this is how I'm going to go about it. And that's where I try to advocate for music education there. And it cannot um, take away from the artistry as well. I think both pedagogy and artistry can coexist on the page. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so I want to talk uh, about your compositions just for a second here. Mm -hmm. um, what was one of the hardest pieces that you ever wrote not not necessarily the hardest to sing but the hardest for you to write hmm hardest to write um i won't say technically but hardest in terms of concept and whether it would be accepted whether people are ready for it that would have to be sync up siaga i feel uh -huh. um mainly because there is like 90 percent of it is not lyrics and it has to do with vocal representations of instruments and instruments that uh, people might not be familiar with if they're not immersed in gamelan music and gamelan culture um and it was at a time when it was commissioned and it was commissioned it was part of the sonic timeless project in canada where they wanted 10 canadian composers to write something new during the pandemic and I actually had to text a composer friend of mine, Marie Claire Saint-Dor, and I said, what is Canadian music? Uh, do, what do they want me to write? Um, do I have to do it in English or French? Do I write about snow, <laughs> um, <laughs> nature? Nothing wrong with that, but that was, it, it took a long time for me to figure out what to write. I had uh -huh. so many drafts that um, should remain as drafts and, and in a separate notebook. And she just told me, just write what you feel you want to express at this point. You know, that is your Canadian um, outlook. And I knew for me, it is um, the acceptance of cultures and influences that may not be common. And that's what I feel is very Canadian for me. That's why I had to go back to um, music of the Shadow Puppet Theatre in Malaysia and do some research. It was difficult only because emotionally I was wondering whether it, people were ready to do it. Sure. And now, um, fast forward a few years, it's doing pretty well and I am gladly proven wrong on my doubts. So I'm glad I pushed through with it. That's great. Um, so on the flip side, what was one of the easiest songs that you wrote? Like what just came really quick? Oh, um, it would be an arrangement at Wabulan because I've always performed it with my children's choir in Malaysia. And okay. it's something I grew up with. 
uh, and it's something Malaysians know, Malaysian diaspora know, and that's how everyone gets together. It's like the Walls and Matilda for Australians, um, Oh, that's great. where it's the calling card and everyone knows it. It's fun, it's interactive, there's movements. Um, there wasn't a lot of writing in terms of arrangement to do because a lot of it is by rote, and the arrangements that people receive is a helpful blueprint of how it could be done, but Okay. it's also pretty flexible on how to move the form and structure. All right. Well, I'm glad you talked about those two already. We're going to get to listen to them in the second half of this program. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I got one more question for you before uh, our little game. Mm Uh, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would it be -mm. about? Mm. Ooh. What are you passionate about that you would want to write about? Oh, good one if i had to write a book it would have to be a collection of musings and it's not just by me it would be uh contributors from Okay. the coral world and it would be people around my age group or um, who have had certain lived experiences in the coral world that they wish they knew earlier. So it's like a little chicken soup for the soul, but coral edition. <laughs> Oh, nice. but something that will be helpful that people pick out and say, I wish I knew that earlier. Okay, now <laughs> let's take this book and run with it. well, good. I can't look. I, I look forward to reading it one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we do take a quick break, I'm going to ask you to play a quick game that Okay. this week we're calling a healthy bowl of Raisin Brahms. I'm going to ask you a series <laughs> of five true or false statements about Johannes Brahms. You're a winner oh. just for playing the game. So just do your best. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number one, true or false. Brahms wrote several compositions when he was younger, but later destroyed them. True. That is true. He was embarrassed by the quality of his early compositions, <laughs> some written as early as, as age 11. Definitely All right. Number, understand. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Brahms once fell asleep while Liszt was playing his famous lullaby. It's actually false. It was while Liszt performed Brahms' sonata in B minor. Brahms said he was tired from traveling. <laughs> All right. Uh, number three, true or false? Brahms took 22 years to write his first symphony. False. That's actually true. He really wanted that to be right. So he took Wow. a long time. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Number four. True or false? Though popular today, Brahms was considered old fashioned by many of his composer contemporaries. True. That is true. Yeah, he was one of the more conservatives uh, on the more conservative side of the War of Romantics. All right. You're doing great. Last one. True or false? Brahms reportedly grew the beard as a way to keep other people's germs away from his face. <laughs> False. That is false. He grew the beard because he couldn't when he was younger. He was sort of a, a late bloomer and his beard was a badge of honor for him. <laughs> he did a great job, Tracy. Thanks for playing the game. Thank you. After we take a quick break, we will listen to some of Tracy's compositions. Welcome back. I am talking today with Dr. Tracy Wong. So we are going to start today. And I have to say, if I mispronounce any of these titles, please <laughs> feel free to correct me. So Sure. we're going to start today with Wabulan. Yay. Is that how you say that? Okay. Uh, this is for uh, essay, two-part choir, uh, acapella with percussion. So as you said, this is an arrangement of traditional Malay folk song. Uh, first of all, what does Wabulan mean? And secondly, tell us about the Dakir Barat style of performance used in this song. Sure. Wabulan is actually uh, a kind of kite in Malaysia. We have many traditional kites. 
and wow bulan wow means kite and bulan is a moon so it is a moon kite and the way it's different is that it's got the uh the top three points that looks like the the top part of a normal diamond shaped kite but the bottom part is rounded like a crescent shaped moon so hence the the shape itself uh, gives its name as a moon kite we learn it uh, we learn how to make it when we were in school oh, wow. just as we are learning how to sing it just as we learn how to do the movements for it and it's a group project if the kite doesn't fly we fail <laughs> <laughs> um, but i love that it's so immersive in the way we learn about our culture and our folk studies yeah. and it's generally about the moon kite about how beautiful it is it's got three points um, it's very simple in lyrics it's quite repetitive and the way it is being sung it is in a dike barat style which means that people usually sit in rows on the floor and they would do a lot of uh, unified movements and it's got to look sharp usually there's a leader in the front who kind of uh, leads a call and response part of it so the arrangement is just a snippet of the entire DK Bharat uh, performance of Wabulan itself and um, how it's done how we know it's a good one is when everyone is singing strong and robust and then you are also doing movements that are sharp and unified it's also a form of competition in a lot of malaysian communities oh, really? we have dk barak competitions so while bulan is only one of many songs that people can sing but i felt this was really helpful to teach um to also introduce folks to our culture okay so do you provide instruction materials about how the motion should be done uh, do you do videos or is it written out how do you how do you approach that yeah, I initially introduced it to a few Canadian choirs that I work with in the Community Children and Youth Chorus. And um, because I've worked so much with them, we have started to modify movements to something that they feel they could perform well, but it's also very uh, reminiscent of the culture that we grew up in. Because a lot of the movements have vocabulary, just like how in ballet you have certain vocabulary for movements. The movements we use for hands a lot of times have names that also depict nature like the tossing of the wind and okay that is appropriate for a song about kites so we have various vocabulary names of movements that we pair into the hand gestures for wild bulan for that reason so that's where people start to learn about the song and movement culture and how it is a marriage of both so those choirs have been working with me on it we've created videos and he has gone viral so a lot of times what Cypress does is that if you want to sing this piece, here are some examples of how it's being done. And I am still doing workshops online and in person with choirs to not only work on those movements, to talk about the context and the background of it, but to also modify and customize it if they feel they want something different or if we have accessibility needs. That's how flexible this piece is. Yeah, have, have different choirs adapted it to their own needs what what sort of changes do they make i'm i'm curious for sure sometimes mass choir of say 300 people we can't have them all on the stage or on the floor or we are sitting really weirdly on the rises <laughs> so it would be adjusted say the back row would be standing the middle row would be sitting on the rises front few rows would be on the floor so we'll do some adjustments in terms of how it looks like uh -huh. for sure okay all right well we are going to listen to wabulan performed by the hamilton children's choir with Zimfira Polo's conductor.
All right. Our second piece is Syncopsiaga. Yes, uh, got it. For soprano, soprano and alto, and body percussion. So if mm -hmm. I understand right, syncop means to open, to reveal, quick change, and siaga, every ready. So mm -hmm. what do these words mean in relationship to this piece? It was, um, it's definitely a point in time. And as I mentioned earlier, this was one of the commission pieces for a Sonic Timelapse project. So right. a quick background of how it works is that um, when the pandemic first hit, choral community is definitely the one that is really affected. So we have no singing, we have no new music by composers, and choral directors have no music that could help with say online work or engagement with singers so everyone is not benefiting from this um hence we have gyung lee we had laura holly and katarina gimmon who founded sonic timeless project as a means to bring things together uh by firstly doing an open call to everyone across canada it could be conductors uh, donors patrons of the arts anyone singers um to just put into a big Google folder their thoughts and their musings and how they feel during this difficult time. Some wrote poetry, some gave uh, journal entries, some wrote, some brought really beautiful artwork, and some just had scribbles. So we took anything and everything, <laughs> put it all in the Google folder, and then that's where 10 composers had access to it, to just kind of sift through everything and find something that would give us um, inspiration to write new music. Mm. So when I looked through a lot of it, what I realized was um, there were many who were talking about being in the darkness, um, needing to see the light, uh, trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel, um, that they were in a very dark point in life. And for me, when I write music, or if I'm listening to music or singing music, I like to use music as a means to make me feel better. And that's how I felt I needed to go with this, that, okay, I cannot write sad music. Everyone's already feeling sad. And I think we have a lot of beautiful, sad music out there. And what could I contribute that is very me, something that is uplifting, upbeat and fiery. And that it's my way of saying, no, snap out of it. Quick change. Let's go. I don't know where go means, <laughs> but at this point, it's just to lift the spirits. And I knew it had to be something accessible, which means the only two words you're singing is sing up siaga. Everything else is vocables, and they are representations of gamelan instruments. So you would hear sounds like dung, ta, ting, dong. And that is actually from an ethnomusicology book of um, a a professor who actually notated the instruments and the sounds that the instrumentalists would say to each other to create those sounds like uh. they would tell another one dung ta 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 dung dung and then that's how you know to play a low resonant sound and a high tight sound on um on a hand percussion for example right so that's how we went with it and i wanted to work on the tradition of um shadow puppet theater in malaysia and the idea of shadow puppetry is already so intriguing and i love that it also depicts that light and darkness are of equal beauty and that if you have darkness you can actually see the etchings of what's going on on the screen or on a wall so that's my way of saying it's okay darkness and light um it both needs to coexist to help us understand ourselves better rather than trying to run away from it it's like a Star Wars thing as well, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The light and the dark working Exactly. Together. So that's the idea for Sinkup Siaga.
Well, I'd, I definitely want to look more into that shadow puppet theater. Sounds really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we are going to listen to Sinkap Siaga here performed by Tracy Wong. <laughs> piece today is jam jom ayumari now available for various voicings but originally for three-part treble and body percussion so i had the chance to hear this piece first at the national acda conference in february of 2023 that's how i uh, became familiar with tracy's work Uh, i read that this piece is a play on words what do you mean by that um jam is j is jom a is ayo M is Mari. And these three words are colloquial in the Malay language or in Malaysian culture to just mean let's go, 
For example, if after this you're going to go to school and someone else is picking you up, Steve, jump. So Steve, let's go. That kind of feeling. Or okay. Murray, come over here. Ayo, ayo is like the French version of Ale. Like, come on, okay. let's go ahead. So it's also uh, it was commissioned by the Chorus Niagara Children's Choir also during the pandemic, and um, I talked to the kids online and I said, what do you want? And they said they wanted something that's upbeat, that's cool, but also cool in an awkward, in an awkward way. Hence the syncopation cool in, in the awkward body. way. Yeah, you get the <laughs> best information from middle schoolers. I love it. Um, so they wanted cool in an awkward way. So we gave cool, awkward in terms of body percussion where there's some syncopation in there that just felt like you're kind of limping along, but it's not. Um, so that was really helpful to have. Cool because the it was very similar to a drum line that I heard um, Dave Grohl uh, from Foo Fighters play. I was like, that's a very cool drum line. How do I recreate it on the body percussion? And that is also a merge of the musical influences that I have that we don't need to compartmentalize or categorize where choral music stands. Um, so that's all the kind of ideas that I have. And jam would already be J-A-M. You sound like you're singing and you're jamming together. I wanted to make sure that every single line, uh, every single voice part when they sing it, they have something interesting that they can call their own. So jom sounds really low in the resonance of a speaker. So the autos have it. Mari is very lyrical. As a second soprano, what I want is to have more leads and more musical uh, uniqueness in second soprano lines. So I give the best line to the second soprano. Uh, and then soprano ones have the ayo, ayo. So it's nice and floating. It also sounds like a very annoying bird in Malaysia when I was growing <laughs> up. So that's really helpful to just kind of bring all those experiences back. And um, everyone could practice it on their own and still feel satisfied in a certain way of learning their own parts because it's equally unique and the other parts not singing it. That's that's great. So the way to create a modern approach to folk music is to add a Foo Fighters drum line <laughs> in there. And <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. That's great. All right, so we're going to listen to Jam, Jom Ayumari, performed by Creek 21 from Cherry Creek High School with Adam Cave, conductor.
write our last piece today, Antara, Between. This is for SATB Acapella Choir. And you write that this this piece is a musical expression of being in between and the celebration of human resilience. So what do you mean by that? Um, I feel, oh, this is commissioned by Exotate Chamber Singers in Toronto with the director, Mark Ramsey. Um, they wanted a piece from me and I say, what piece? Is it anything you want to write? And I had the privilege of being a former singer in Exotate. So okay. I am familiar with the sound, the capability, and also uh, the singers who are singing it. And it was for uh, a big anniversary of theirs. And um, there are many music um, choral pieces out there that I realize sings about certain moments in, in life and certain important uh, milestones. Um, but for me, I wanted to create a piece of music that addresses in between those moments where if say you are moving from one country to the next and it's that moment of deciding that you want to do it that moment it's either it's just white noise where you cannot think anymore is analysis paralysis or you are really excited and you just want to do it now or you are having doubt so hmm. all those muse uh, those expressions come out in musical ideas so if it is uh, being stuck it sounds almost like a white noise where you have little clashes of long pedal notes um if it is uh, hurried or you're anticipating something there's more rhythm behind it or um if it feels unsettling it would not be an even numbered um mixed meter it will more mixed meter than an even number one. So all these certain ideas. And I worked together with um, a musical collaborator of mine, Muhammad Fairos Muhammad Tauhid, who helped provide the Malay text for this. I speak English and Malay, and we learn um, literature all the way up to high school. But I know Fairos has a very distinctive and artistic way of weaving text in a minimalist way. So I mm. would say things like, I want it to say this, but in three words. And then he would come <laughs> back with something. Or I want it to be this, but in a saying, like a proverb, if you were creating a proverb. So he came back with certain things and then I mixed and matched it um, okay. to work with the music. So if it is, um, the, the words almost feel like word painting and the translation would show that too. That's great. So were there certain in-between moments of your life that you were thinking about as you were writing? Uh, changes in career and jobs and uh, moving, making big decisions like going self-publishing. That is a very scary thought to do. Yeah. Um, and how does that feel like, you know, wearing the big girl pants and trying to hustle for yourself um, when we have never learned about music business in school, not in the program that I studied in. Um, so those were nervous excitement for me. And um, the way it is structured in Antara is that the main melody comes back as a rondo. So you would have the musical expressions as sections and the main melody Antara would come back and forth because technically you're singing in between. So that's just an, um, a neat structure that I thought, okay, that's a mesh of ideas that I learned when I was studying music history. Why not put it back in there? Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we are now going to listen to Antara Between, performed here by the Exultate Chamber Singers with Mark Ramsey, Artistic Director. Oh. 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 
So Tracy, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? What am I working on now? Uh, I would be, I am the 2023-2024 composer in residence for the Toronto Mendelssohn Choir. Okay. Um, and that would be two commission works across the season. And I'm pretty excited about that. They are a fantastic choir in town. And um, I don't know what I'm writing yet, but we're going to do something <laughs> um, that will be quite fun. And then on the other side, in summer, I would be in Belgium for Europa Cantat Junior, oh, wow. premiering four new pieces by Asian Canadian composers. So this is me wearing my uh, conductor's hat, but advocating for composers. Yeah. And we managed to get a grant to commission these four uh, to teach new music. Uh, new folk styles to European kids. I think I've got about 75 or 100 kids that I'll be working with on Korean, Filipino, uh, Gujarati music, as well as one more. It's in there somewhere. Um, so we have one more piece, uh, Mandarin. Oh, and wow. I'll be working through those pieces with the kids. And wow, four I love very this, different things. That's very awesome. different. And um, I love this four composers because, again, that music educator hat comes back in and they have provided the learning resources and the recordings that I can help the kids with. And hopefully after the premiere, we can put it back into um, repertoire that everyone in the choral community can access and learn. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, if my listeners want to learn more about you, what is your website? Where are you located online? Uh, my website is tracywongmusic.com or you can find me on Instagram, The Wong Note. <laughs> the Wong Note. <laughs> I like that. Well, hey, listeners, make sure that you follow Movable Dough on social media as well. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, Facebook. I was on Twitter, but I don't use it much anymore. <laughs> you can use, uh, you can also check out my website, sdcompose.com slash movable dough, where you'll find links to merch, supporting the show, as well as a full archive of episodes. If you want to follow Movable Dough, I do try to make it easy for you to do so. So check us out on social media. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today on Movable Dough. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. My guest today was composer Dr. Tracy Wong. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.